Welcome to the Deerfield Family Theater Podcast. As part of our Meet the Cast series, I had the privilege and honor to speak with Big Martin, the actor portraying Bree at DFT's TYA 2023 production of Fancy Nancy the Musical. Speaking of Fancy Nancy the Musical, in case you're tuning in and didn't already know, DFT's very first Theater for Young Audiences, or TYA, is putting on a performance of Fancy Nancy the Musical this August of 2023, and performances start Thursday, August 3rd through Sunday, August 6th. So while you're listening to this episode, visit DeerfieldTheater.com and get your tickets. Without further delay, here's the interview. I am pleased to have with me today on the DFT podcast a first, somebody who I knew before I joined the Deerfield Family Theater Board, Big Martin. Welcome to the DFT podcast. Thank you, Matt. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Well, I know you because we've been on stage together, but for our listeners who will be looking forward to seeing you in our upcoming Theater for Young Audiences performance, Fancy Nancy, go ahead and tell them about yourself. Hi, I'm Mig Martin, Mignon Martin, but Mig as most of my friends and family call me. I am an attorney by trade, but previously in my past life, I used to do a lot of musical theater. Specifically, I'm a violinist and a singer. I'm super excited to be here. I'm going to be playing Brie, which is the best friend of Fancy Nancy, but I'm happy to be here and I'm excited to join you. Well, as longtime listeners know, I am also a lawyer, right? And I have performed in the Chicago Bar Show, which is where we met, which was not that long ago. It was 2019, but it feels like a lifetime ago. Well, it was three years ago, so that is a lifetime ago, I think, in some people's world. Right. So so you this will be your first time performing for Deerfield Family Theater, right? Yes, it will be. I'm very excited. But but you you've been performing. You talked about violinist and a singer. So so tell our audience a little bit more about like what got you started in this performing arts world in this world. So I have been performing since I was quite, quite small. I think my first performance that I remember, I was in church and I wanted a solo. I was in the kids choir. I may have been five. And I said, give it to me. And I was the brand new kid in the choir. I said, I will take the solo. You must give it to me. And it actually became a running joke because the choir director would say, you can't have a solo every Sunday. We have to give it to other kids. And I would pout and frown and just kind of sway in the back if I didn't have a solo, but I was excited to be in the front. So I come from a musical family. My sister sing, my, my dad plays violin, and my mom was actually our choir director in church. And so it's been really, really fun and just, just always a part of my life. In fact, I'm from Waukegan, and it's pretty well known that my sisters are the singers in our family. So it's always very surprising when people from Waukegan find out I sing because a lot of them know me as a violinist, not as a singer. So that's just kind of fun little fact there. But I did it all through high school. And then I found a really, really wonderful teacher when I was in high school, when I was a sophomore in high school, who tried to get me to try out for theater things. I said, I don't act. In fact, I always like to tell the story of the first time that I went out for a play, not a musical, but a play. And I did a monologue and I thought I nailed it. And he said, Mig, that was not great. (laughs) But he said, but your singing part of this role was fantastic. 
And I can teach you to act. I can't really teach you to sing and hold a note. So he said, I'm super, and he was excited that I was excited to learn. So his name was Mark Dreyfus. He's now retired from my high school, but he has had countless, you know, proteges along the way. And then I went to college, obviously. I was one of those kids I had no idea what I wanted to do in college. So I, you know, tried out to go for volleyball. I tried out to go for <laughs> for singing and musical theater. I tried out for violin. And I ended up at the University of Miami in Florida, where I got a violin scholarship. And it was amazing because for those who know theater and those who know musical theater, that is a huge feeder school for some of the biggest names in the country. And it was amazing just to be surrounded by talent. And people would say, come join us for, you know, this show I wrote. Sure. Great. And so that's really how I got into it. That's kind of what I've been doing my whole life. And yeah, that's my story with that. I mean, th th there is so much to unpack there. and I look forward to it. But quick note, <laughs> one of those names that you've never heard of that went to the that majored in theater at University of Miami in Florida was Ron Kerbis, my father. <laughs> So really, is, that's that amazing. Yeah, yeah. Now, what a small I mean, world. Long time ago. And while well, he went into the insurance business <laughs> in sales, you know, theater and sales, actually, you know, you could see that. Right. But we would like be watching movies or TV or something sometimes. And he'd be like, hey, I graduated with that person. <laughs> so, you know. That's actually, a fun, I love to say that all the time. There's a fairly big person in the musical theater world, Joshua Henry who I went to school with. He was in my dorm. I would see him daily. And we had two classes together. So I'd always say, hey, Josh, he'd go, hey. And so it's just one of those crazy things that, you know, when you see somebody you know and and know who they are in the real world, it's kind of fun, especially considering I don't do that often anymore. Yeah, yeah. And a quick note for the young listeners who are listening in, something that you said, Meg, which was how when you were auditioning for something and like they couldn't teach you how to sing, but they could teach you how to act. It's because you were auditioning. Like somebody could always go and learn from someone else how to sing. Like context matters, right? And so like in order to be able to perform in that particular performance, there was not enough time to teach you to sing. But you could absolutely. You know, for the young ones listening, you could always, there's always time to learn and for the next performance. But you know, Sometimes learning a new skill takes time. And I agree that it's easier to teach acting than it is to teach singing in a short amount of time. Absolutely. And at the time I was about 16, I think we had a month and a half for that particular show. So it was definitely not enough time to teach me a fairly difficult score for that for that show. It was not enough time. And he was super excited to say, I'm excited for you to have this monologue and I can teach you how to dramatically act in this way. But, you know, the singing parts are going to be too difficult for me to sit down with you and kind of teach you those notes. Right. And, and it's a muscle. You know, your voice is a muscle that you have to train just like anything else. Being a violinist and being a, a singer, in what ways, like, is being a musician and a singer go hand in hand? Because you have some musicians who don't sing and singers who don't play musical instruments. So in what way have you found synergy in doing both of those things? It definitely goes hand in hand. I think the biggest part is discipline. In terms of violin and string instruments generally, they tend to be a little bit different in terms of the fact that I can practice for eight or 10 or 12 hours a day. I don't recommend that, but I could if I wanted to. The, and the voice is an instrument, just like you can hear if somebody sounds tired today or, you know, happy today. 
But the fact is that being a musician, I've learned the discipline of being able to sit in a room and say, I'm going to learn these three measures today. Just that. I'm going to sit down however long it takes me, and that's what I'll do. It's one of the biggest pieces that I take to my regular life. Sometimes when we're doing things we don't like to do, <laughs> things that might be a little bit boring, I I learn discipline. I say, okay, this is a this is a challenge. This is a struggle. This is something that I may or may not want to do today. But if there's discipline, that's what I'll learn. And also just in terms of singing, I can tell you that learning from the biggest, taking different people and inspiration, it's lovely to understand that, as you said, some musicians don't sing and vice versa. I just recently had a impromptu gig with a friend of mine who's not really a singer. And he was so excited to have a singer come and join him for something where he kind of just, you know, he said, I'm excited to have a singer here where we never have a singer in our gigs. And it just bring something different, I think, to the whole experience than having just a standard musician who plays an instrument. Any any words of wisdom or advice for, for listeners who maybe are, they're playing a musical instrument, but they want to sing or they're a singer and they want to also play a musical instrument? Like, you know, what advice do you have for them? Well, you already have it started. Most of the time when you're instrumentalist, you have to learn sheet, you have to learn sheet music. You already know a lot of the notes. And if you happen to play it, I happen to play a treble clef instrument, which meant that singing was actually really easy because I already knew all the notes. I knew what a lot of them sounded like just based on my instrument. If you're reading notes and learning notes, you can learn to, one, play them on your instrument. I still do this all the time. Sometimes I'll pull out my you know, keyboard or my, my instrument. And if I want to just kind of play something out, then I can replicate it with my voice. And that's a really great way to get started. In fact, when I used to teach back in the day, I, that's what I would do with a lot of my younger students. If they played any instruments and wanted to learn to sing, I would definitely grab them and I'd say, okay, grab your instrument and let's mimic it. And you can show them exactly what they need to do with their breathing and their throat and their neck to kind of change how the voice works. It's a really cool way to learn if you have that foundation in being an instrumentalist. Yeah, yeah. Great tips. You heard it here, folks. You could do it. You could do it. Let's now talk about the show, the upcoming show, Fancy Nancy. So this is Deerfield Family Theater's first Theater for Young Audiences performance, our, our DFT-TYA, if you will. Personally, I had never even heard of like TYA. I wasn't familiar with the acronym. So have you like have you come across this before? Have you performed for like for TYA type style performance? No, I haven't. I'm super excited. It's my first time. It's my first foray into this realm. I think it's really cool because as an adult performer who, so TYA for those who don't know is theater for young audiences, but I'm sure your audiences probably know they're coming into this fun podcast. But frankly, it's really interesting to have adults playing children for a show that is meant for someone who's a young audience. I just think it really brings, there's something to be said about when you're small and you're innocent and you have a lot of love for the world. And then as we get older, I think sometimes we become a little cynical. We maybe start, you know, really thinking too much about everything and how things work. And to be able to go inside and analyze, how would a child feel about this? How would, you know, a best friend feel about this? I play the best friend of the main character, Nancy, 
And it's wonderful just to be able to analyze how would I feel if I were nine years old or eight years old about this situation, as opposed to how I was as an adult would feel about this situation. It really just is a wonderful experience as an actor to really experience. Yeah. And and so Brie, you've mentioned now a few times as the best friend. Tell us a little bit about Brie and then what did you do to prepare for the role of Brie? So Brie is the best friend of our title character, Nancy. She is by her side for most things. Brie also tends to be a little, she's a little bit more straight lace, I'd say. Nancy's very, very laid back. She's free. She loves all things that are pretty and fancy and glitter. And, and she uses a lot of French words, which everybody in the audience will hear immediately. She likes to explain these large words that she has in her vocabulary. But Brie is also very fancy. She likes pretty things. But within these pretty things, she likes it in a slightly more serious way. She's a little bit, always a little bit on the side, a little bit reserved, observing, looking, watching, just kind of more observant of the things around her, which is interesting if you're thinking about a play where these two girls are kind of experiencing the world together. It's wonderful to have somebody like Brie who gives a little perspective at times, I think, to Nancy and the fact that she just loves stars and rainbows and butterflies and all the other wonderful things in the world. And, and like for those who are listening, who are parents like me, who have kids who have either watched the Disney Plus Junior show or or the or read the books, like this is a unique story for these characters in, in the musical world, but it's the same characters you, that the kids know and love. And at least in the show, which I've watched, upteenth amount of times with my little one like yeah like Brie like basically shares like equal screen time with Nancy when when they're both part of the same story and she's like the grounding force for this up in the clouds kind of a character and sometimes like Nancy's lessons are learned because like Brie like is the more wise between the two of them it sounds like there's like a similar sort of a relationship for the musical as well there is. And as you said, it's a single story with these characters. They and this isn't this is not giving anything away. They're putting on a show. And so they're very excited to put on a show. And these characters, there's actually, I would say, Bree teaches Nancy a lot in this show, whether intentionally or not. And mm -hmm. it's just by the circumstances and the situations that they're going to be in based on having this show and the excitement and the things around it. And so by doing that, and you're absolutely right, as somebody who's also watched, you know, I have, I have a niece and so I've watched the show before. And I think Brie is one of those characters that she, I think she's unique to the universe, really, truly, as an eight, nine, you know, as a young child, she understands sometimes that there needs to be a little bit of groundedness. There needs to be, sometimes we have to step back and look at things. It's great to be lovely and excited and in the clouds, but we sometimes have to step back. So Brie, I think, is, I like to say she's the lesson of the, she teaches Nancy lessons without actually having to say, Nancy, I'm teaching you a lesson today right. just by being who she is. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. And, and did you like, did you do anything to like get back in touch with your inner child, like in order to like portray a, a child on the stage? 
Well, believe it or not, and Matt, again, you know this because we've spent time together. I tend to be a happy, joyful person generally. Mm -hmm. So believe it or not, honestly, it just felt like going back to who I've always been. And I think as an attorney, sometimes I get into a very serious mode. I'm a litigator. I like to be in court. I like to be very serious. But I also think I'm a nice person and I'm kind and at my core, I'm happy and lovely and bright. I do my best to be that person. So believe it or not, it's felt really natural. And I also believe that children, children, for as much as sometimes people may talk down to children, I think that children are extremely intelligent. If I was being disingenuous in any way, they would know. And so it's really truly just been going back to what I know to be who I am at my core. My core is a is a happy, lovely person who likes fancy things and bright things and all the things that go on in the world. So I that's how I prepared, just by saying, think about me as a kid and who I was and who I've always been. And me as a kid, me as an adult sometimes gets nervous for adult things, like even going to court, I get very nervous. As a kid, I was ready to go. I was rearing to go. I wanted to jump right in. So it's that was the preparation. And honestly, it's been really freeing and liberating to be this part at this part of my life to say, I'm going to be a kid today. Let me go and let me be excited to go play Brie. Yeah. And so when when somebody with that you know disposition like yourself is faced with what we've all we all had to deal with when the pandemic came rearing its ugly head and performances that were planned got canceled, you know, and being in this world, you know, just was completely upended. I mean, everyone's world was upended, but the live event industries in particular, even the lawyer in court stuff was upended. Like what, you know, what was that like in general, but also as a, as a performing artist? It was difficult. And I will say this, I mean, I had a friend who called me early on into the pandemic and I'm talking about March 21st. She does weddings and she had already canceled 60 that for that year. And she was completely freaked out. She didn't know what to do. She called just as a friend, as somebody who's performed her many times, but also as a lawyer said, what do I do? How do I handle this? And I didn't really know what to tell her. I didn't know, we, none of us knew how long this was going to be. We didn't know if we were going to be back in theaters next week, next month. But the fact that it lasted as long as it did was really, I think, incredible and unique. We Our industries never experienced something like this. And then also just for me as a practical standpoint, it actually helped me reevaluate kind of what I do as a performer I was really conscious about saying to other people, even people I perform with to say, I don't need that performance. I know so-and-so is struggling. I know my, my colleagues are struggling. I still have a job that, you know, lets me sit at my desk and, and look at a computer and talk to people like you. And I know that for those who were doing their entire lives as performers, they didn't have that. So it actually gave me some time to reflect, to be able to say, I want others, anything that we might be doing to be able to have it. And then also just as an attorney, it completely changed my life. I used to be in my car sometimes for six, eight hours a day if I had two or three court appearances to going from that to literally hopping onto a screen 
and saying, oh, good morning, your honor. That was a strange encounter, but it also changed my world. It went from my commute being, you know, an hour or whatever it was a day to now saying, okay, it's 830. I have a 9 a.m. court call. I'm going to get up. I'm going to do it. But it was definitely a struggle. And just also for somebody who personally, I know that not every attorney, not every litigator is this way, but I think you and I are this way, that I enjoy the face-to-face of being in a courtroom, seeing somebody's body language, seeing how they react to things and how I can you know, shift and change my, my argument for that. That was less because now suddenly I'm on a screen. I can't kind of get those cues. And my my family and I, we always joke that when I am in a courtroom, I'm on, I find it to be like I'm on stage. I, I'm going in, even if I'm having a bad day, I come in. Today I'm playing the role of lawyer and I am going to come in. I argue it's wonderful. And then I go and I leave and I go back to being my regular self. So there was a lot where I didn't get to do that. And I think that so many of us lost out of that, lost out on that. And I'm super excited that we know the pandemic still exists. We know that, you know, COVID's still out there, but it's really wonderful that everyone is getting back out to live theater performances. There's something about being in a theater with a musician or a singer or just going to a concert and feeling the energy of the people around you that cannot be recreated on Zoom. I would just like to point out, in case you haven't realized it already, that the lessons that you learned as a child about now is not that you can't have a solo all the time, now is the time to let other people have a solo, came to fruition when you were in the pandemic and faced with the opportunity cost of like, do I also go for these roles when really I don't need them and other people do? And I feel like that there's a through line there with with what you learned when you were young, performing, like taught you something about the real world and that you were able to do it and let the others take those take those roles when when you were when you were an adult. What do you think about that? Oh, absolutely. I personally, outside of the singing and the performing realm where I always wanted to be in front, I tend to be somebody who does for others or I do always do for others before I do for myself. But to fizz and because of that, it was so foreign to me to say, I don't want that performance. I love performing. I love being on stage. It's one of my favorite things to do. And for me to, without hesitation, say, I don't, I don't want that. Please, please let somebody who I know this is their livelihood. And I want them to be able to, you know, put food on the table during this trying time. Please let them have this thing. Or I'll make some calls. There are several times when I'd say, I'll make some calls. I think I know some people who are doing some things. I want to make sure so-and-so is doing okay. And it is, you're right. It's something that I wouldn't have thought about, but it's just something that immediately just kind of who I am in all other aspects of my life, wanting to help others, completely came into play during the pandemic to say, I don't need this. I'll be okay. You know, but I want my performing colleagues to be okay. So, yeah. So important life lesson there. And and for the parents who are on the fence about letting their kids 
you know, get into musical theater or performing arts or something, or if you know one of those parents, share this episode with them because, like, that's a good life. You, you learn those life lessons, even if you don't end up performing professionally, getting involved in learning those skills, even even something you said about taking on the role of lawyer to go to court, you know, you as lawyer, like, I, I do the same thing. Like, now I'm going to play the role of the extrovert, whether it's at a, at a networking event and I need to get business for my law firm or I'm just at a social function. It's like I'm very introverted, but I could step into that character of me, the extrovert, right? So it's useful skills that you learn by doing these kind of things. 100%. I mean, and we're always learning one thing to pivot back to the show a little bit. One thing that's really interesting. So I found out about the show actually through a friend of mine who's a board member and he encouraged me to try out. And I typically don't do a lot of theater. I always have considered myself someone who is a singer who acts sometimes, even though I do musical theater. It's something I felt only felt comfortable with because I sing and I know that that's a strength of mine. But it's so cool because I'm learning every day. One thing that I didn't have when I want, walked in is I let the director know and the choreographer know, hi, it says that I need to tap dance. I don't know how to tap. What will we do? And they said, are you willing to learn? And I said, okay. So I'm learning to tap dance currently, which has been so cool and interesting because that's something I would have never as an adult thought I'd be able to do. I always thought it was too late for me to learn kind of those core dance types, but now I'm learning to tap dance just for the show. And I probably will keep it up afterwards because it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. Def definitely on my list of things to learn that I was supposed to do for the rookie show <laughs> that never happened for the bar show. <laughs> I was going to, I even bought tap shoes for, for me and I ended up returning them after the rookie show got canceled. Speaking of the rookie show, let's talk a little bit about the, the bar show and, and how we met. What, what is the bar show? So the bar show is sponsored by the Chicago Bar Association, and it is literally a show that is going to be hitting its 100th year this year in 2023. It's been around for 100 years, which is amazing. It started off just as a musical review, some lawyers getting together who wanted to sing and dance. They actually used to call it Christmas spirits because it would happen always around the holidays. They would bring their colleagues together, their friends, and have a dinner and do some theater. And so it's interesting because back in the early days of the bar show, there were, were no women. So I would not have been involved in it back then. But, you know, they had men playing women's roles, which is a very traditional theater thing. And uh, honestly, it just has become this really amazing thing. And I always tell people every year, that I'm honored to be part of it because the people who are in it, they're all attorneys or attorney adjacent, either in law school or paralegals, you know, people who are part of the bar association. And a lot of the folks that we do the bar show with are performers. They're people who lost their second or third or fourth career. I consider law my second career because I was a performer prior to going to law school, but we have people who've done Second City. We have people who've been professional dancers and singers who are in this show that's now turned into just over the last, I think I would say 20 to 25 years, people said it's transformed into this full produced show that's put in a theater that people pay good money to get tickets to. 
And it's it's a review, it's a comedy, it's parody. But as attorneys, we like to do parody and it's usually on recent events. In fact, one thing that you may or may not know because I don't, you were not on the show back then, but back in 2016, we had a very, very interesting show because we had, everything was good. We were getting ready for the show that was going to be in early December. And then the 2016 election happened, oh, yeah. which changed. So we had set out that Hillary Clinton was going to win. And we had all this music set. We had all these scenes set. And then a week or two before the show, everything changed. Mm -hmm. So we now suddenly were rewriting everything. Because as you know, the election happened earlier in November, but ultimately with recounts and things like that, we didn't know until near the end of November what was going to happen. So we were physically a week out from the show when at least five or six scenes had to change. And that was an interesting time for everyone. But because people were really surprised that we had this brand new show that was about stuff that had happened within the last week. And we said, yeah, we know it's because it's been changed in the last week. And sometimes when even when we've had things happen, you know, a really big news story, we'll have it, we'll add it to the show for the next night. I've, I've had to be in a scene where I've gotten an email in the morning saying, this is a change for tonight. We're going to add this scene or add this song. And so it's a lot of fun. I find it as an attorney, it's a way for me to just on a yearly basis, get together, really keep my chops, you know, sharp in terms of being a performer. And I enjoy it a lot. I yeah. I have a high respect for everybody who does it. They are brilliant at their crafts. Yeah, I've, I've described it to some as like Saturday Night Live, the musical, but Chicago lawyers. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly it. <laughs> so whether and, and so this next question, it might have been like a bar show performance, but, you know, over the years you've you've performed in, in, you know, various productions. So what has been maybe one of the favorite ones that you've performed in and why? And maybe it was the 2016 one. I've had some great roles. One in terms of the bar show that sticks out was playing Tony Preckwinkle shortly after her soda ban in Chicago was repealed. So that's actually a song that changed because I got to sing something to the extent of my ban on your soda has come to an end. <laughs> and so that was a lot of fun, mainly because I had never met her. And apparently people think I look a little bit like her if you put a, a gray wig on me and, you know, make me look a little older. And so it was funny because while I was in that show, I went to a networking event and I met her and somebody said, whoa, it's uncanny. And I said, what do you mean? They're like, you two next to each other. It, you guys could be related. So that was actually a lot of fun for me. Cool. So I took a minute to tell her about the show and she said, I'll see if I can make it. So that was fun. And then also another bar show performance that was amazing was 2016, which is I got to play Sasha Obama. Um, which was fun. So Ebony Smith and I got to play Sasha and Malia Obama. And we were just the children sad about the fact that we were leaving the White House. And it was actually a lot of fun to do that. We got to sing Little Mermaid, which is very topical in this in this moment. We got to sing a parody on that. And then a role that I've loved that has been non-bar show. Actually, two I can think of. One, 
I got to be Romeo in a gender blind production of Romeo and Juliet, which was a lot of fun back when I was a teenager back in Waukegan. And then also I really loved, I got to play Asaka, who is Mother Earth from a show called Once on This Island. It was really lovely because I literally, it's a show where literally there are the elements and the elements are people. Mother Earth is a person who gets to tell this this girl, this young girl to Moon about her journey through kind of a, a struggle she's having with her life and if she should leave her home and that type of thing, which I think a lot of young audiences relate to. And I, as Mother Earth, give her some advice. There's a woman who plays her heart, who plays the heart and the soul of the show. She gets to give some advice. There's somebody who plays water. He gets to give advice. And there's somebody who plays kind of death and evil. And he gives his advice too. So it's a really cool and interesting show that I think has been back on Broadway pretty recently. So I that was an exciting role for me as well. Sounds like we should start looking into that show as a future DFT production. I think it's not a bad one to to try, yeah. definitely. Yeah. And then putting on your, your audience or theater goer hat, you know, what have been some of the favorite performances that you've got an opportunity to like sit in the audience and just kick back and enjoy? Well, recently, very recently, I have not been to New York in a long time. It's a little surreal in that way, but I recently went to New York and I got to see Anne Juliet on Broadway and it was amazing. And I will embarrass my husband a little bit. He does not like musical theater. He dislikes it completely. He goes to it because I'm in it and he loves me. And I, we sometimes have to do things for people we love. And so he'll come and he'll sit and he'll smile in the audience and be very excited, but he dislikes it. It's not something that he enjoys. Mm -hmm. He, Juliet is a really cool show where basically it takes a lot of pop songs from one songwriter and puts them into a show about Romeo and Juliet. And again, this is not giving anything away. This is literally the first minute of the show. And Juliet, for your audiences that may not know, is a show about what happens if Juliet did not take poison when at the end of the show, when she sees that joke that, you know, Romeo's dead. And so what happens to Juliet and what happens to her life afterwards? And so it's a really interesting show. And the reason I bring up my husband is because we were there together and he loved it. He, he knew the songs. He was excited by the end. He was fist pumping. So that was really cool to, you know, see somebody who maybe this is not something they love to do every day, go and enjoy that type of show. So I, I enjoyed it very much to see that. Very cool. Yeah. That is the first time we've, we've heard of that on the podcast. So that's, that's a great rec. Sounds like a great recommendation. I'm interested. You've got me interested. So, and then bringing to my last question, which is assuming you have the opportunity to go see the show, is it okay to listen to the soundtrack before going to see a musical? What do you think? I think it depends on the musical. I would suggest for this musical, if you are a young audience member to not listen to it. And there's a reason. I think that a lot of the music in this show, it gives lessons, it gives thoughts, it really brings the music, brings the story along. And I would want everyone who's going to the show to experience that for the first time when watching the show. I think it's completely okay to go get the soundtrack afterwards and love it and listen to it. But 
that being said, I do think there are exceptions to that. I think that, you know, a fairly recent musical that's done very well by people loving and listening to the soundtrack is Hamilton. Yeah. But I also think that Hamilton was unique in the fact that there is no, all of it is music. There is no kind of dialogue in between that music to give it context outside of things where there are songs and happenings. But in our show, there's a lot of dialogue in between each song that happens. And I'd say that everyone really gets a good chance to shine. I wouldn't listen to it beforehand. It, not for our, our young audiences. I think that if they have any questions and thoughts afterwards, I'm totally okay to come by and, and say hello to them and, you know, tell them if they, if they had any questions to say, well, what did Brie mean when she said this? Oh, we can totally do that. But I think it's harder to do that if you don't come in surprised about what you're going to see. Yeah. Well, that's great. And with that, I guess we'll just, uh, we'll try to one more chance to make to put butts in seats, like sell the show. Like why should people, if they haven't already been convinced, why, why should parents bring their kids to the show? I think parents should bring their kids to the show because ultimately it's a really good show about youth and friendship and learning to share and be kind to your friends always. And for those who know Fancy Nancy, the show, I think it gives a new meaning to what fancy is and to what being fancy is, which is not necessarily something you can see in a 30-minute TV show with cartoons. And so that's not something you'd get every day. Also, I just feel like it's a really well-written show. As somebody who's been performing theater for a long time, it's a difficult show for me. It's been a difficult it's been a difficult in terms of scene work. It's been difficult in terms of singing. It's been difficult in terms of choreography. It's a well put together show. And I think children and adults alike will enjoy this show. We just, we recently had, you know, a setting with all of our designers and we did a run for them. And we had full adults, some with children, some without, who were cracking up in times. I saw tears in certain times. I saw, you know, sadness in other times. So I think everyone will enjoy this show, whether you're a kid or just a kid at heart. I love it. We're not going to get better than that. So big <laughs> thanks for coming on. And if people like want to follow you or if they want to follow up, like where can people find you? Well, I am an attorney, as you know. I work for I work for a firm doing class actions. But you can also find me. My I'm perfectly fine if giving out my email. My email is mignon at gmail.com. You can always shoot me an email, find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on Instagram. You can find me on Facebook. I'd love to interact with anyone with the show and get to know more people who interact with this podcast. Thanks again for coming on. All right. Thank you. And that's our show. Please share this podcast to help support the work of Deerfield Family Theater. An even better way to support DFT is to go see Fancy Nancy the Musical. Visit DeerfieldTheater.com to purchase tickets. As always, links are in the show notes. Follow us on social media and subscribe to our podcast on your preferred listening app to never miss an episode. Until next time, thanks to everyone who continues to support the arts. We'll see you at the theater.